0: It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Before we get started with today's Hockey PDO cast, I want to give some quick love to our sponsor, SeatGeek. If you've never used it before, it's as good a time as any to start considering the playoff season is just around the corner. SeaGeek is a service which makes buying and selling tickets easier than it's ever been before. They pull all the tickets available on other sites into one handy location for you, even going so far as to ensure that you're getting optimal value by alerting you once the prices fall. The best part of it all is that they don't try to sneak in those random fees at the checkout, which means that you know exactly what you're paying for when you're choosing your tickets. SeatGeek's providing my listeners with a $20 rebate off their first purchase today, and all you've got to do is follow a few easy steps. Just download the free SeatGeek app, then go to the settings tab and click add a promo code and type in PDO. Once you've done that, SeatGeek will send you your $20 rebate. Download the free SeatGeek app, enter the promo code PDO, and you can start saving yourself a bunch of time, effort, and money as you get your hands on whichever tickets your heart desires today progressing to the mean since 2015 it's the hockey pdo cast with your host dmitri filipovich welcome to the hockey pdo cast my name is dmitri filipovich and joining me is chris johnson chris what's going on man?
1: I'm excited to be back because since we've last spoken I've had a few brushes with fame with uh, listeners that have said they've heard me on here. So it's yeah. quite an honor to be invited back.
0: That was exciting, man. When you told me that I was like, Wow, I I get to for once kind of give uh, give Chris Johnston the the PDO cast bump. It's usually the other way around.
1: It was great, man. There was even a guy who just heard my voice and was <laughs> and came up and asked <laughs> me if he if I if he had heard me on the PDO cast and that's a true story. So I hope you're listening uh, out there. I didn't catch catch the guy's name, but uh Anyway, good to be on with you, Dimitri. Well,
0: I mean, I'm not surprised that he you recognized your voice. I think I, I'd have to go back and do an official head count, but I'd imagine you're probably the most frequently appearing PDOcast guest at this point. I think you've been on, like, what, five times, maybe four or five times? Like, that's, that's probably right up there.
1: We're in that range, and I guess I have the whiskey and cigarettes voice, even yes. though I'm uh, not a smoker, yeah. so... There we
0: go. Um, okay, so and you were on last time about two weeks ago, and we made the point of how this period in time in the league schedule is pretty boring because we just had the trade deadline and the playoffs are still a bit away and there's not that much going on. But since then, we've had about four or five kind of newish developments that happened in the recent days, and I kind of wanted to pick your brain about what's going on behind the scenes. So um, I think the first obvious one is the whole Jimmy Vesey thing where officially it came out yesterday that he's opting not to sign with a team that drafted him, choosing to become a highly after free agent this summer instead um, i don't know what do you think about the entire situation i guess it's a very open-ended question but there's so many layers to it so I us just start with there
1: well there's a couple aspects that interest me i mean one of them is is how public david poyle's been in, in uh, discussing the situation and you know to me i think uh, i read into that in part that that he recognized that this was A possible outcome obviously last year when they were unable to sign uh, Jimmy following his his, uh, junior season rather at Harvard but you know really this is a player that that to me is making a decision that has nothing to do with business in fact there's a a good argument to be made that the best thing he could do in terms of making money and and getting things going on his career would be to sign with the Predators now he would only have essentially a one-year entry-level deal because the first season would be burned Immediately, and uh, next year would be the last one where he could get beyond the the entry level restrictions on the salary he can make, and uh, would sort of quick, you know, more quickly advance through the NHL system. But you know, it's clear that there's a personal aspect to this about where he wants to start his career, and uh, Nashville uh, obviously isn't that place. Mm.
0: Well, I mean, on the surface, I'll always side with the player, just in the sense that you know, you got to look out for yourself. It's your career, it's your money. Like, I'm these big organizations will be perfectly fine; they'll find the next jimmy vesey but i think in this case it is fascinating that david poyle who i think it's fair to say i mean you've interacted with him more than i have but he's a pretty fairly mild mannered kind of quiet and thoughtful gm who picks his spots and he absolutely went off to the media last night
1: he did and and you're right he's been around basically as, as either assistant gm or gm for you know our entire lifetimes for 30 plus years so you know he's someone who's seen it all and as a result. Doesn't uh, tend to react too strongly to things, but, you know, clearly at the heart of his words, he feels a bit betrayed here and, and he feels that if this was the the way that, that Jimmy Vesey was going to go after his career ended at Harvard uh, he he felt he should have been notified a little bit more ahead of time perhaps to to plan differently at the trade deadline uh, you know even possibly trading his rights you know before uh, February 29th would have been an option available if they had a clear indication he wasn't going to sign there and and you know that to me seems to be at the root of it uh, I'm sure, deep down, once uh, time passes and, and uh, emotions cool down a bit, uh, you know, David will recognize that this is the player's right, and mm. you know, it's hard hard to argue with him, really. I mean, he he sat through four years now of college where he's made no money. Where even under the rules, when he attended uh, Nashville's various camps, he was would have to fund mm. those trips because it would be in violation of NCAA rules not to do so. So, uh, the the organizations invested a lot in him in the sense that. Uh, Matt Nickel, their the director of player development, has spent a lot of time in Boston, uh, working with Jimmy and, and you know trying to build that relationship and make him feel part of the Predators organization. But at the end of the day, contractually, he doesn't owe them anything, and he can now wait till August fifteenth and sign with any of the other twenty nineteen. It is a
0: bummer for the Predators and Poil in the sense that they made a savvy pick in the third round. Uh, this guy, he's a guy that fell in the draft and uh, started off his career a bit slower in Harvard, but eventually developed and got significantly better the past two seasons and now they're not really going to have anything to show for that investment right like they're losing him for nothing and maybe it's a a little bit of a flaw in the compensation system where uh the blackhawks for example when they lost kevin hayes they got back a compensation compensatory pick but that's because he was a first rounder so because he's a third the predators basically are just having him walk for nothing and and i'm sure that's kind of a, a little bit of a kick in the pants for them
1: yeah, and I, I would think that that's where we're likely to see a change, if anywhere. I, I don't think uh, that th- this will be written out of the CBA in any way, uh, shape, or form. But you know, you might see the compens- compensation uh, system expanded. Where you know, I, I think we'd all agree it at least makes some sense. If you're going to give a first rounder who's lost the comp- compensatory pick in this case, mm-hmm. why not give it to a second or third rounder, uh, or even right. fourth or fifth yeah. or sixth or seventh? Really, I mean, to me, I don't, I don't, I don't see. Any, any real reason to argue against that and, and you know I, I doubt the league will either you know if and when they revisit this but uh, you know it's a, it's a very tough situation for the Predators who you know let's face it are, are trying to get everyone they can uh, to, to try to you know make a run in the playoffs I think uh, they, they've been a, a very model franchise in terms of not spending to the cap and always being you know relatively competitive but you know, I think that there's got to be some urgency and and push, especially as we saw in the johansson Jones deal, uh, to try to get a little bit more over the hump. And uh, we don't yet know exactly what Jimmy Vesey will be, at, you know, as an NHL player, especially immediately. But you know, they feel that they would be much better off having at least that option in their lineup immediately. Well,
0: uh- the the Predators are an interesting team for me because for years they were all about the blue line and the goaltending and don't get me wrong obviously with uh, with Weber and and Yossi and Ellis and Ekholm they still have a really good blue line and that is their foundation but if you look at the forward group particularly the young guys there's a lot to be excited there with Forsberg and Johansson and even a Craig Smith and then you have guys like Arvidsson and Fiala and Kamenev coming up and and you can definitely see the makings of a really intriguing group there and I like what they've built but the, the the interesting question for a guy like jimmy vesey is you look at that and on the one sense you can go well it'd be enticing play with all those guys and kind of grow with them and build something special but at the same time i mean maybe it's kind of a daunting task where obviously he's confident in his own abilities but maybe there might not be as much opportunity as other places like that must have kind of played into a little bit right
1: i think a little bit i mean really though what i've examined this from all the angles. It it was the best. If we're just looking at it purely from a financial and career standpoint, I I still think that this is an excellent situation for him. I I just believe for for whatever reason he doesn't want uh, to commit to living and playing in nashville right now and and you know he, he still can't turn uh ufa till he's 27 so he's, he's 22 right now i believe he turns 23 uh before uh, july 1st but still another four plus years essentially he would be committing uh to, to being with the predators and he's choosing to to go somewhere else i mean it's it's hard to and, I, and again this is this was part of why David Poyle was so frustrated is it's hard to make a case against Nashville. I mean, if he signed that contract yesterday, he would get a $92,500 signing bonus. He would earn about 50,000 in salary. Uh, give or take for for the two weeks of this season, he would get a chance to play in the playoffs. He's been promised a role on their top line on the left side, along Ryan Johansson, and then he can negotiate a second NHL deal at the end of next year. I mean, that's a pretty nice situation to step into, especially on a competitive team, albeit not a Stanley Cup favorite. But you know, there's not there's not a lot of downsides there, unless there's something else gnawing at him. And I think that that's partially why there's a there's at least a feeling in the Predators organization. Uh, That that there might be some tampering going on here or or at least an idea that that other teams are getting in his ear a little bit. And, you know, that's obviously not supposed to happen. And I think that that will be the next stage of this. If he does, in fact, stick to his guns and and wait till August 15th and sign somewhere else, you know, what do the Predators do at that point? Do they pursue potentially tampering charges against the team that signs them?
0: Yeah, that's that. That'll be interesting to follow. So, who do you think is on that short list then of of potential destinations for him? Because obviously the, the 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 connection that jumps to mind is the Bruins because of his Massachusetts ties. And but we thought the same thing maybe about Kevin Hayes a few years ago, and he chose the Rangers instead. uh I don't know who do you think is in on the mix for for Vesey's services
1: right now. Anyone you talk to will tell you it's going to be Boston or Toronto mm. uh, are the two teams. I, I would say though that you know part of this process too is is maybe he'll hear something. Uh, when he is able to talk to the other teams officially, that that you know you you wouldn't expect i mean for example if we were handicapping had we known what our temi panarin is now uh last summer or or when he was signed last spring we wouldn't have thought chicago was a natural destination for him but they promised him a a pretty good role uh among their scoring forwards and that gave him a chance to earn a massive bonus this year which you know currently he's just a little bit below the threshold to earn but there's still a chance with a strong finish in the next 10 days that he's gonna earn about a 1.7 million dollar bonus on his entry level deal i mean maybe a really good team will jump into the mix and convince him to come play with you know some of their good players which you know could be a situation but I mean really the Boston the the connection goes very deep He, he was a Bruins fan I grew up about 25 minutes from from TD Garden Don Sweeney the GM is a fellow Harvard alumni and so there there's connection there I mean that that makes a lot of sense and I think we can all understand perhaps wanting to play for your childhood team and you know with the with the Leafs it's a similar kind of heartstrings uh, situation where his brother Nolan was drafted by Toronto in the sixth round in 2014 and uh, his dad was you know made a, a part-time scout uh, by the Leafs and would, you know there would be some ties there so I think that those are the, the the first two but you know I don't think we can rule out the possibility someone else uh, creeps into this you know as time goes along and, and he can talk to other teams
0: okay so let's let's move on and discuss something else that came up a few days ago uh i forget which day exactly but it's the the nail yakupov uh saga i guess you could call it where uh he had an interview with a russian publication i believe and basically it was revealed that he and his camp had asked for a trade from the oilers and while that wasn't necessarily a surprising revelation considering what we've been hearing around the trade deadline um it's kind of uh, i guess sped up that process or really kind of brought it back up and it's making me wonder what the oilers are going to do this summer from an even bigger picture perspective because they really seem like a team that's primed to make some drastic moves especially if they get another high pick and take another forward it feels like there's going to be an incentive there for them to kind of make a splash
1: well i mean really if if you were scripting this the, the timing is awkward and, and unusual. But, you know, the one thing from the Yakubov camp that they've said is that this was an interview with a respected Russian journalist that was wide ranging and touched on a, a number of different subjects, including, you know, whether Yakubov will play at the World at home this year in Russia and, and you know, what level of interest he has in er, ever playing in the KHL. And, you know, as part of that conversation, the trade uh, request came up and, you know, that sort of helps explain the timing because really to have this come out now and have to answer questions about it and have the organization uh, have to, you know, potentially address it, it doesn't make sense because they can't really deal them until after the Stanley Cup's handed out a few months from now. But, uh, you know, it is an interesting situation with Neil Yakupov where, you know, clearly he's going to be one of the number one picks gone. You know, I would suggest that, He's not guaranteed to be the only one. I wouldn't be surprised if they moved one of uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins or Taylor Hall this summer. Uh, obviously, Jordan Everly would be another player that would, 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 you know, garner some interest in, and I think that they would entertain trading. But, you know, no one should feel comfortable in Edmonton other than Connor McDavid and probably Leon Dreisiedel among their young players just because. Uh, you know the you know a year into this now almost for Peter Shirelli and Todd McClellan and and they just they feel that there's a almost an institutional issue with the organization and that some of these guys that have been around you know are are part of the problem and you know that might be best suited with a a change in scenery and you know I do think they'll be one of the teams that are very very active or will attempt to be uh, you know come the, the draft and then into the summer.
0: Yakupov situation is fascinating to me just from the perspective that we heard around the deadline that he was being aggressively shopped and I think I saw somewhere that the Oilers were basically like listen give us two second round picks and he's yours and no one was really biting at that which is a little surprising to me considering that the Lightning basically got that for Brett Connolly the year before and I think that as disappointing as Yakupov has been for a first overall pick like there's still he's shown that he can be a goal scorer in the NHL and he's still what 22 years old like it seems like there's plenty of teams out there that with goal scoring drying up across the league and it being really tough to find cheap cheap scoring that you'd take a gamble on him and i don't know what do you think is a potential landing spot for him because i I think like looking at a team like maybe a carolina or a new jersey where they could definitely use some forward help and have a lot of defensive pieces to part with that that would be an interesting fit there
1: yeah, I think that those are fits. I mean, Montreal. It always goes back to that. I mean, he and Alex were once teammates, and and you know could potentially. You know, I think that you'll see some some changes with the Habs, and you know even Anaheim. I believe was had some level of interest in Nail Yakupov. And, you know, what's kind of unique about this situation is they gave Igor Larianov his agent, the ability to talk to teams ahead of the deadline. And I believe there were six or seven teams that, that, you know, he was basically encouraging to get in on the bidding and and that were showing some interest. And And I think that that will be renewed. I mean, we had kind of a unique set of circumstances around this trade deadline where teams were very, very reluctant to part with even, Uh, you know the kind of picks that they used to just throw out (laughs) on their way to going to work you know i mean it always just seems that you kind of go through different uh rising i guess i just try to think of influences in in this industry and there is times when when draft picks are are not as valued but but this deadline more than ever it seems that that wasn't the case and and you know i think that that's a big reason why that the oilers weren't able to get uh, anything that, that enticed him to make that trade because let's face it i mean the, this guy there, there's a reason he was picked number one overall even if it turns out uh you know that, that he is a bust i mean i think that it's too early to say definitively that he can't be a useful nhl player and and over over stretches i think that you've seen that but um you know perhaps the you know getting away from a place where there's expectations and, you know, starting fresh. I'm actually sympathetic to the point that he's played for a lot of different coaches, a lot of different GMs, a lot of different philosophies in a number of years in the league and, you know, just hasn't fit. He was also one of the last guys in the door there among their uh, you know, constant you know rejuvenation of of high end skilled forwards, and and you know maybe that that that's contributed in some ways to to his his lot and where he's ended up with the Oilers. So you know, I do believe that that he is going to have interest uh, for other teams, and and probably the, the conditions around the draft will be better time for Edmonton to, to make that deal because you know, you might draw in some of the teams that that you know that this year's deadline uh, didn't consider themselves buyers that. You know, are more willing to add that kind of piece at, at the draft table.
0: Yeah, I mean, I do, I do feel bad for him because he was playing really well at the start of the year with McDavid too, and then McDavid goes down with injury, and then he has that freak accident with where he gets tangled up with a referee, I think, in Carolina actually, and 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 he just hasn't been able to bounce back since then. And I don't know, there's there's a big divide there, right? Because at this point, we sort of need to toss out the fact that he was a number one overall pick. Like it's gonna be, it seems pretty unlikely that he's ever gonna wind up matching those expectations, but the same time there's a big gap there between that and still being a useful nhl player that i still think it's it's too early as you said to kind of uh erase from the realm of possibility that he could be so he'd definitely be a guy that i would target if i was uh, a team that needed some young young scoring
1: well and let's face it if he's getting you 50 points i mean that there's a there's a value to that in this league and and you know he is still i agree that he's so young to you know we're, we're getting excited about Jimmy Vesey he's the same age as as Neil taken taking in the same draft and and uh you know th- that's not a knock on Vesey but it's just that perception sometimes governs the way people feel about these things and I think if you you strip away and, and really look at it that that you know th- there's there's a lot of incentive I believe to go out and trade for Neil Yakupov of all the things no one's ever said that I've heard that, that he's a bad guy. I think at times he can be a bit of a, a loner and and you know maybe a little bit misunderstood. But you know I don't think that this is a case where he, he doesn't care. Or he's not putting the work in. It's just that there maybe isn't the best fit for him with the Oilers. And and you know I, I do I'm kind of interested to see you know what he can make of himself. Uh, when you you remove him from that situation and you know maybe give him a better environment to to show his well, best,
0: uh, we started talking about Yakupov. You we were like he might not be the only first overall pick that's moved, and and we hear this all the time where it makes sense that the Oilers have just been losing for so long and don't have anything to really show for these picks that they would want to make some sort of big splash and make some sort of like foundational arrangement to their core where they just just for the sake of you know saying listen we're we're trying something new because clearly. Really the path we've been going down hasn't worked but i feel like that's a, 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 has a massive potential to blow up in their face because making it move just for the sake of making a move almost never is a good idea but like when you start talking about taylor hall as being the piece that you're going to move when he's one of the best what three or four wingers in the league in my opinion like that just seems crazy to me because i i, I can't imagine that they're going to get proper value for him
1: well, and, and I should be a little more clear, too, that, that I think the reason those names will enter the conversation is that they feel they need defensemen. And, and the question becomes how do you go and get those guys if you're not able to draft uh, the impact defensemen? And, and that, you know, that, the, the sort of internal belief seems to be that, that one of the best ways to accomplish that goal is, is by, you know, putting one of these pieces on the table and seeing what you can get. And, and you're right, there's, there's tremendous risk in that deal. Um, but, you know, I think standing pat is not something we're going to see from that organization. I mean, uh, it's pretty typical that, that a GM, after being hired, you know, takes a little time to, to look around and get his feel for things, but. You know, my sense is that Peter Shirelli is getting uh, much closer to his, his point of, of action where uh, he's out, you know, really actively changing what they have going on there. And let's face it, he might even be armed with another number one overall pick. Uh, you know, as we're talking right now, they have the, the, the best odds by points percentage to finish 30th again in the NHL. So, I mean, there's, there's a chance he's bringing another six foot two centerman and Austin Matthews into the organization, whereby I think, uh, you know, at some point, you're going to have you're going to have an ex- excess there of, of players to, to deal from so uh, I, I do think it's partially culture change motivated but but also and perhaps even more importantly about trying to find a way to, to add an impact defenseman uh, you know get a young player and I think that that's where the Ducks connection comes into because uh, with Sammy Votten and uh, needing a new contract this summer, uh, Hampus Lindholm as well, that that there's a feeling that the Ducks are probably going to have to move one of their Ds. It might even be Cam Fowler, who's under contract already, uh, you know, following the season. And, and that's maybe where the fit comes in if you're the Oilers and you're trying to target, a, you know, another young defenseman from around the league.
0: Well, don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining. I'm sure that the Oilers are going to be providing us with some nice, uh, fodder during the off season for podcasts and articles. <laughs> They'll so be great it, for Joy yes, 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 yes. So speak, speaking of great for the PDO cast, uh, Eugene Melnick and the Senators. Uh, <laughs> you like that seamless transition there? Uh, we've got, a, we've got a large contingent of Senators fans who listen to the show, and I think, I guess I'll just leave, I'll, I'll throw out this question to you. It's very open ended to get us started, and just like, what's going on over there? Because if your owner's going on a wild kind of unprovoked and unsolicited rant to the media during the season about just all sorts of incoherent topics. Like I think it's safe to say that things aren't necessarily going very swimmingly for your organization. So like what's going on over there?
1: Well, Eugene is a unique owner in the NHL. We don't have many like him in in that he he doesn't mind the attention and and he doesn't mind putting his front office on blast. And and, uh, clearly that's what happened here. I mean, again, if I think if you were, if, if you were trying to script it a little bit better, you would have waited until after the season was done and and had that kind of conversation because it's made it uncomfortable in some ways, I would imagine, especially for Dave Cameron, the head coach, who, you know, when you have the owner coming out and second-guessing six months later, your decision to start a goalie in a game, I mean, that's... Highly, highly unusual and and pretty indicative of where you stand in the organization and, in fact, where you're likely to stand, you know, come April 15th or so after the season's all uh, wrapped up. And, and, you know, it's been disappointing, obviously. I mean, they rely on... On making the playoffs to to make money or to attempt to to make the bottom line a little bit better and and you know they're a team that that there's a lot of focus on that. I mean, even among Eugene's comments was the fact that they went over budget this year on payroll, which I kind of you sort of threw in as an aside. but I mean, I think that they're they're very concerned about the bottom line and Eugene specifically and uh, he also doesn't mind getting in front of the cameras and performing, and he certainly did that last week. Well,
0: I imagine Matt, Matt O'Connor wakes up in the morning and just opens <laughs> opens his Twitter. He's laying in bed on his phone. And he's like, oh, what the hell, man? What did I do? <laughs>
1: right, and he's a year after, you know, he had a few different free agent offers, you know, coming out of uh, college, the NCAA last year, and he chose to sign in Ottawa, and, you know, I still think that there's a, there's a, a good opportunity for him there, but you're right. It's like, why is he getting dragged into this, and, and you know, really, why is the team having to deal with it with two or three weeks left in the season uh seems a little silly but uh you know i'm very curious to see what goes on there i mean one thing we should note about the senators is they they literally have probably the smallest front office in the league and just in terms of actual people that work for the team it's very much uh, a small town environment and for them to kind of. Have uh, the laundry thrown out on the on the lawn there, and 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 have everyone sort of looking at them. You know, it it creates an interesting dynamic because, you know, what what is kind of the elephant in the room is you know who will succeed brian murray as general manager when the time comes that, that brian you know no longer wants to hold that position and and you know there's a couple candidates internally including daniel alfredson potentially uh, you know i don't I'm not sure that he's ready for that even himself just yet but but it's kind of the one of the lingering long-term questions for how they they sort of transition out of the current period and and when the owners is sounding off i think it it raises even more questions and gives answers
0: well he's he's i should say he's entitled to do whatever he wants right like when you're signing the checks you you can really just have free reign to to say whatever you want and and uh, he gets a lot of flack for sort of being stingy as an owner and not willing to, to to spend a lot and i'm definitely responsible for that as well i like to poke fun at him for it but at the same time like it's easy to spend someone else's money and there's a reason guys like him get rich in the first place and it's not by throwing it around throwing it around recklessly but at the same time like he had these comments about analytics and somehow tied it into horses, I believe. And I, I kind of lost track of what was going on there. But you, the Sens are notably a team that isn't very progressive. And it's surprising to me because... It's one thing to be an internal budget team, but I feel like that would give you even more incentive to be on the forefront of kind of exploring ways to get ahead of the curve and and use this sort of stuff to try and find hidden gems and avoid uh, latching on to bad contracts. And the senators just haven't really done that in the past few years.
1: Right. And, you know, that might be part of the next phase as well, that that whoever does come in and seize control, you know, we'll, we'll focus on that because clearly a number of teams around the league in the last even just two or three years alone have, have taken that direction. And, you know, Ottawa, from at least what we know of, doesn't appear to be one of them. And, and uh, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense, I think, for them. I mean, they they should be on a budget. I mean, Ottawa is a relatively small market in in the NHL. Uh, they, they they suffer at the gate when the team isn't doing well. And if you, if you look at their games now, that players don't you know people don't go just just because you know they're having a hockey game 41 days a year in the suburbs of Ottawa. I mean, there, there's there are le- legitimate market challenges there that I that I can understand if you're the owner and and uh, you know some teams do make it work. Really, Ottawa has they made the playoffs a lot and and sometimes with teams you wouldn't expect to make the playoffs but um you know over their 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 recent history here but you know i guess in a, in a bigger sort of question I know a favorite of the the PDO cast would be Eric Carlson and 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 should be hockey fans in in general and and for them to have him in his prime years and and you know not be able to maximize the talent around him you know to me is is a real shame if that's you know what continues to happen because uh you know he's he's a special player and and you know has really carried a lot of what they've done uh, offensively throughout the year, uh, driven their possession, and, and you know it just seems it would be a shame if if these are if he's not able to sort of be surrounded by better players uh, before he you know his prime is, is come and gone. Uh,
0: you hit the nail on the head there, where they do have these foundational pieces with Carlson and and I love Kyle Turris, and then you have Mark Stone and Mike Hoffman on the wing, and even Craig Anderson's been a perfectly serviceable option for them in net, but they haven't really supplemented them with anything on the peripheries, and I think that's sort of the actual use of a more progressive approach to building your team using uh, analytics in the sense that you can find guys for cheap in the bargain bin that can really help you out and provide value in that regard and that's where a team that's not going to spend money with other big big spenders needs to be incorporating into their decision making and they haven't at all and pretty much all that's resulted in that is like the the top end is so good that it's gotten them to the playoffs but then when push came to shove they just basically lose in the first round, and it's really, really disappointing to see that happen, because uh, people misguidedly just wind up blaming the stars instead of everything else around them.
1: Well, and if you wanted to take the optimist view, is they still have all those guys you mentioned, although the Hoffman situation will be one to chart this summer with him being restricted for agent again and having another good year and, you know, kind of a difficult negotiation and, and subsequently an arbitration hearing with him last year. I mean, I think that there's certainly some rumblings that he could be a player that might be dealt rather than signed to a big money deal in Ottawa. But, you know, they have pieces and they have. Uh, with some with some good moves, I, I don't think that it's a stretch to imagine them, you know, making the playoffs even next year. And and uh, I'm sure on some level that's fueling Eugene's frustration is that you know he, he understands there are star players there, and and they're not getting the most out of the team as a whole. And and you know, I, I'm not sure what the way forward is for them, though. I mean, because uh, you know, as we're talking now, Brian Murray still hasn't decided uh, what he's going to do. You know, if he returns for another season. Uh, obviously, we hope that, that his health allows him to to do that. But you know, I, I think that they're kind of in a bit of a a, a, a limbo mode in, in terms of what the big term plan is, and if it is, you know, going to be someone else taking over the GMC, we might see a, uh, if not drastic, at least you know, pretty significant change in direction about how they do their business.
0: Well, it's it's crazy to me that they're like they're not going to make the playoffs this year just because the Atlantic is is so wide open and carlson's having this transcendent season where he's pretty much for all intents and purposes playing half the game and the other and they're doing fine in those minutes and then it's the other half of the game that they're just getting completely pummeled and i i think that i mean it should be a wake-up call to both melnick and murray and everyone involved that something drastically needs to change
1: well, and I'd love to give him some truth serum and know how he feels about it too, mm-hmm. because you know he can be an outspoken guy, and and uh, you know he signed a long term deal there about the time he was winning his first Norris Trophy, and and uh, you know obviously wants to, to do well in Ottawa. You know he's committed a long time to that organization, and and you know you wonder if he feels that they're they're giving him enough because. Uh, you know he's certainly on the ice from what we can see is is giving them uh, way more than a share of the bargain and and you know for a mid first round draft pick is you know one of the best players in the entire league right now so um, you know I, I do think that, that it's going to be some interesting days there because on the one hand as I mentioned I, I don't think that they're totally lost at sea but Uh, we have to kind of get a sense of what direction they're going to take and how they go about reacting to this difficult year. And, you know, it certainly sounds like the first piece or seems like the first piece will be changing coaches yet again, which Mm. is, you know, kind of the standard operating procedure in in Ottawa. I mean, coach usually gets a season, a season and a half on average uh, in the last seven or eight years there. But, uh, you know, I I think that we should recognize that it does go deeper than the coach.
0: Yeah, it definitely does. Uh, Okay. One final thing before we get you out of here. And it's something that I kind of wanted the two of us now that I have you in on the phone to circle back to because we were immediately on the scene the day after it happened uh, and it was when Vinny Cavalier was traded to the Kings, we both uh-huh. I remember it distinctly we had our eyebrows raised and we were kind of joking about this potential hilarious scenario where uh, he played well enough where he was like, hmm, maybe I could just do this for another year and then it really put the Kings in a bind, but at the time it seemed like a pipe dream because he just looked so bad in Philly and, and it seemed unrealistic that he would actually be able to play well enough and control tribute enough to even have those thoughts creep into his head but all of a sudden now a few months later he's got what 10 goals for the kings and i think even the 0.1 percent chance that a long playoff run here with them could potentially reinvigorate him and make him rethink that decision is honestly like my favorite subplot of the 2015-2016 season right now i'm just like anyone that follows me on twitter just knows that i'm having so much fun with this
1: i know you're basically live tweeting all his goals these days so <laughs> i figure you you must have the kings like an alert that comes up every time they're playing a game and be watching closely but you know it's got to be on his mind i mean it, it would be impossible not to imagine i mean the, the situation in philadelphia was so difficult for him uh, he was scratched he you know he didn't know what was going on it seemed like kind of an inglorious end to what's been a pretty solid career and then to go to la and be on a team that's that's very good with stanley cup aspirations and you know score 10 goals and. And a half a season, uh, you know, how could he not be thinking that he's got a little bit more in the tank? And, uh, you know, that was always the danger and kind of the strange part of the agreement that, that Kent Hughes' agent made with the Kings as part of that deal to Dean Lombardi. And, and uh, you know, maybe there is some way out of it if LA is willing to deal him somewhere else. But uh, mm-hmm. it's, you know, contractually, I mean, I don't think. I believe it would be cap circumvention if he signed some sort of legal, right. legal document that said he was not going to pursue the rest of his contract. And uh, well, we have every reason to believe Vinny Calvi is a man of his word. I mean, he can change mm. his mind, and and yeah, well,
0: maybe his word will change.
1: Right. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. I, I don't even. I wouldn't. To me, it's actually perfectly understandable if you if you thought you were kind of being shamed out of something you were doing, and then all of a sudden. Uh, you show yourself to be worthy of it again, and want to keep doing it. I mean, you know, once he stops playing, he can't play anymore. I mean, I understand uh, where that would come from. And man, with ten again with the ten goals and the possibility of of going on, and let's say even if they fall just short of the Stanley Cup, and you know that could fuel him even more to want to to continue on. So, I think you're right to have centered in on this. as as a potential storyline and to kind of watch it blossom because I think we'll hear a lot about this once the playoffs get going and uh, especially if he's still playing well for them.
0: I don't know if it'll come in the playoffs or maybe in the offseason, but I'm, I, I, really, really, really hope someone writes the article about how, uh, he's, he's started running on the beach in LA and how, uh, he's hired a celebrity chef that's allowed him to adopt a gluten free diet and how he's in the best shape of his life. And it's going to allow him to extend his career for another, maybe even more than one year. Like someone needs to write this article because I'm, I'm just going to, I think I'm gonna, I might just print it out and like hang it up in my wall and in, in, in my, in my room or something.
1: Now, are you feeling that, that this is a PDO driven good stretch for him then? or (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
0: he, I, I definitely think uh, it'd be misguided for him to come back for another season. I mean, it's a great story, and I'm having a lot of fun with it, but mostly because uh, I just would love to see kind of how the Kings handle this and and sort of the stories that come from it. It would it would be remarkable and entertainment in the off season, but I, I don't think he's anything resembling uh, what he used to be, or even really a a usable player. Right, like most of it's come on the power play, and and his possession stats are, are really bad relative to the rest the team and i i just i just think uh it makes for a funny story but some people don't understand that i'm actually sort of doing it kind of ironically tongue-in-cheek and they're asking me like what what my projections for him are <laughs> next season and how much longer i think he can go and and I, I think i just god bless those people because they're my favorite followers i think
1: well from the human side though you know i think we could agree on this that uh, if he does, in fact, hang him up, it's it's kind of neat for him to, to have a run like this where, you know, I'm, I'm sure he feels good. Every player feels good when they're contributing and, and scoring and, you know, they're not just some guy getting scratched every night. And, and uh, you know, it could end up may- being a nice story if maybe he does recognize where he's at and, and just uh, retires after the season and at least went out with a little bit more of his pride intact and being a healthy scratch for weeks at a time in Philadelphia.
0: No, that's for sure. I mean, he was such a great player once upon a time that it was really just, it was it was just unfortunate to see it just like him lugging himself around the ice there in Philly and not really being able to even crack the lineup. So I agree, from a human element, it, it's really nice to see.
1: Well, it's funny. It's one of these things where now I'm, you know, a little bit more than 10 years, 12 years into my career, and a lot of these guys that I covered initially that were the great players, uh, it's been kind of sad in some ways to see some of these guys uh, fade off, especially the ones that are, have done so in their early 30s. Uh, you know, kind of right. prematurely versus, you know, what you think. And, and uh, you know, so I, I guess maybe I have a soft spot for, for some of the, the players that were dominating the league more than a decade ago that are still around because there's, there's very, very few of them at this point
0: well i suspect this isn't the last time we'll be having this conversation so i'm uh i'm excited to to see where this le cavalier well, Cavalier journey takes us
1: we should buy a bottle of wine and, and toast him or something at the <laughs> end of this because i know you you've taken to calling him vino aging like yeah. a fine wine yeah so. he
0: has yeah no for sure uh chris man thanks again for taking the time it's uh it was it was a lot of fun as always and i have a sneaking suspicion that just like we'll be talking about the cavalier a lot moving forward uh we'll be having you on the podcast fairly soon once again
1: that sounds good. I'll have to enjoy my growing legions of, of fans from here.
0: <laughs> okay, cool, man. Talk soon.
1: Thank you. The
0: Hockey Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockeypdocast.